Hey there, welcome to Cornerstone Ministries Young Adult Podcast. We hope this serves as a resource for you as you seek, find, and grow in your walk with Jesus. Tune in for sermon audios from our young adult services and other original content. If you already have a home church, we're glad that this can be another tool for you. But if not, we hope that you would check us out online at cornerstonelive.net or join us in person. You can join us in Murraysville, PA, and services are Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. Our young adult ministry gathers every other Tuesday at 7 p.m. in the auditorium. Now sit back and enjoy this conversation between Pastor Brandon and Susan Lowry on godly womanhood and finding security in the Father. All right, so Susan, you and I have known each other for, I mean, I first met you when I was interviewing and my family and I were visiting and I know my wife got to spend some time with you, um, but how long have you been here with your family at Cornerstone? So we came, well, we're, we're Pennsylvania and Pittsburgh natives. So we used to, I grew up in, not in this particular area, but like an hour away. Um, and then we came back here like six and a half-ish years ago from Virginia Beach. Okay. Which was a hard move, I'm not going to lie. And how old are your two kids? They are, Beckett turned 10 yesterday and London is eight. So he turned four like shortly after we moved back. Okay. We came in like October. Okay. So you're at like a... I feel like you're at the epitome of a season of life, especially for young women, where, you know, there are those cliches when you're a kid, um, you know, and they joke about in TV and movies of like planning your wedding and how many kids am I going to have and this and this. So you're in the middle of kind of living out what you thought your life would be and, and who God's wired you to be. So I, where I hope this conversation goes, especially for any of our college students, any really anybody who's listening, just as you have been in the throes of ministry, because you were super, you helped run the student ministry at your previous church, right? Yeah, I was on staff before we had kids. And then once we had kids, I just took a step back because it's tough. Ministry life and yeah. ministry wife life with children is a whole different ballgame. So, <laughs> so yeah, we took a step back. But yeah, I used to do ministry pretty much I was like, you know, I just did it daily with JD and whatever yeah. staff we had at the time. So like our last church had a larger student ministry staff. Yeah. And then the church before that, they didn't have any student ministry staff. It was just us. So, yeah. so wife, mother, you've been on staff at a church. You're basically running your own business now with a lot of the things you're doing. So I feel like you're, you're, there's not... Is there a phrase for... Jack of all trades and master Jill, of nothing. <laughs> well, is, it, is it Jill of all trades? If it's Jack oh, yeah, and Jill, it's a girl, is, it, is it a Jill it of all be, trades? Could be a Jill of all trades, master of nothing. Okay, master of nothing. I don't look like Fair a Jill, enough. though. I don't know. <laughs> so, um, with with all of these different hats you've worn over this the, the season of your life, I'm curious, because I, I feel like there's so much stigma even around the concept of what a, a godly woman is, especially mm-hmm. in the culture of you've got hyper feminism on one side mm-hmm. you've got so so you've got this you're not a real woman unless you're a working mother mm-hmm. but then you've got this other side of well no you should be a stay at home mom and like all of these different voices you know um in the previous episode Scott Eulinger and I talked about a little bit about that all the different voices speaking into what a man should be mm-hmm. um and, and I'm curious what do you feel like are some of those really strong voices speaking into the life, the, into the lives of women 
that can kind of bend and twist, mm-hmm. you know, who God has designed women to be. Yeah. You know? So um, I would say that for the sadly enough, like right now, especially young moms, but anybody, I feel like especially women, we let social media tell us what we should look like. And I mean, every part of social media, like YouTube, uh, like Pinterest, all the, even like not just like your Instagram influencers that do all that side of things, but we as women always feel like we don't measure up. Like one of the things that we're going to talk about tonight is, um, is comparison and like dropping that weight of comparison that we put between ourselves and other women. And it's just so natural. Like we naturally compare ourselves to the women around us. And then I feel like we don't necessarily weed out the bad voices very well. I feel Mm. like we listen to whatever is the loudest and whatever seems like it's the most attractive to the people around us. Mm. What, but what, what, I I hear you saying fully, what dictates what is the loudest voice? You said we listen to whatever is the loudest. What makes that the the loudest? And anybody who's listening, uh, you know, Susan is going to be speaking later tonight with our uh, young ladies, our young adult women um, on some of these things. So if you're if you're listening, if you're in the area and you ever want to come and participate with us um, on Tuesday nights at Cornerstone, we'd love to have you. Um, but you just said we have a hard time not bending an ear to the loudest voice. What do you think? Like, what dictates the loudest voice? I I guess it would be whatever particular thing, whatever area you feel inadequate in, or at least this mm. is my personal example. Any area that I feel the least adequate in, then I am going to measure myself up against other people and always feel like I fail. I'm not sure if that's true of everyone, but that's very true of me. Like, as I'm, whether it's momming and cooking dinner for my family every night, and I'm trying to find a dinner for my family, then I'm looking on social media or Pinterest and I'm trying to find whatever, some version of chicken that I haven't given them for the last four days in a row, and I'm comparing myself to all these other moms that blog about their food and blah, 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 blah. And it's just, for me, it's whatever area I feel like I'm failing in, that's what I compare myself. That's where I get my loudest, like, oh, you're not good enough. Mm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. But even yeah. even at the heart of that, that seems, that seems so much deeper than your typical, that seems like there's so much more meat to it than just your typical, like, identity talk, you know, yeah. about... Because I feel like a lot of times we we jump to these random cliches and random moments where it's, you know, oh, be confident in who you are and who God says you are. Um, but we never get into, okay, I, I get that. I understand that I should be confident in who God says it should be. But why is my default position always to focus on my insecurities? Why is my default position always to notice my weakness first and never my strength mm-hmm. first. Well, and a lot of times it's just, it's the self-absorption that, that we have. Is that even a word? Self-absorption? It's the self-absorbed... Yeah, we'll call it one. We'll, we'll say it's the self-absorbed mentality that, that we as women have. And it's probably birthed out of an insecurity, and I'm not sure where that comes from. I know for me, um, as a just from my family past, I have a lot of insecurities because my family did not... Um, maybe like pour that into me as a child. I know that they loved me, but like that whole like 
Like, I, we try, I tell London all the time, who's my daughter, who's eight, I'm always like, you are so beautiful. Like, your heart is so good. Man, I have seen God work in you. Like, look at how you spoke to your friend. Like, that was a good job. Like, and that kind of, like, building up. When you, that happens when you're little, I would hope that it makes a big impact on your, on how you see yourself as you're older. Mm. Um, or, like, one of my friends, she tells her son all the time, man, God has, like, really really big plans for you because you have such a heart after him and it's true he does have such a heart after the lord and he's 17 18 now and he's just chasing after jesus mm. but his his ability to do that i think comes from this really deep rooted um like he just believes that he is who god says he is and that he can do what god says he can do um and i guess i still struggle with that like that i believe not what people say i am but who god says i am but that's, that's like the epitome of, I feel like that's the, what you're talking about right now, I feel like is the epitome of that concept of having a childlike faith. There's not, there's not that, I feel like in kids, you don't see that same battling back and forth. I'm not saying kids mm-hmm. don't have insecurities or, mm-hmm. or lack confidence in areas, but there's, there's a resiliency and a fearlessness in kids that just, you know, okay, God said it, I believe it, that settles it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. We get very confident in our theology with that concept. Mm-hmm. So, so as adults, um, especially if have been in church a long time, we get super, God says it, that says it, it, settles it, I believe it, like that is that is what it is. We're very good with that in, theo- in theological things. Mm-hmm. But how we view ourselves, kind of life application type things, mm-hmm. the things God commands us in, we try to find these little caveats and nuances. and um, But... Uh, but I wonder where we lose that because what's true is, you know, obviously I think that the insecurities and things that we experience, um, as men and then the insecurities that women experience, there's definitely overlap. Mm-hmm. There's a significant amount of difference. Yeah. But where do we, where do we lose that? Where do we lose that sense of fearlessness and end up just falling into that comparison game yeah. and that and, and that depth of insecurity. I don't know if that can be pinned to a, a singular moment or if mm-hmm. it, you know, happens progressively kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think. So, like, my kids, when they're the most fearless is whenever they trust in their father. So, like, we had this, when we lived in Virginia Beach, we had this playground with this giant rock that we called Jump Rock. That is not, it is not actually called Jump Rock, so don't, like, Google it or look for it. But it was just this giant... Actually, so the playground in Virginia Beach is called Mount Trashmore, and it was literally... It's just a huge playground. Is that playground. the actual name, or do you Mount call it Trashmore. Mount Trashmore. No, that's what it was really called. And it used to be a garbage dump, and then they just... They piled, like, dirt on top of the garbage dump, so it's this, this giant mound. It sounds awful, but it's a really cool playground. And there's this huge rock <laughs> let me, there. Let me list out all the problems with this. It's fantastic. <laughs> but it, it's built on trash. So, um, no, but anyhow, so Beckett, when he was two years old, he would jump off this thing and parents would look at JD and they'd be like, he is nuts for letting his kid jump off that thing. And JD would catch him. And I mean, we had many parents be like, that is not a good idea. And you know, he didn't care because he knew he was going to catch him. So, but Beckett would fearlessly jump off this rock and I'm like, no way on earth. And to this day, he still... Like, they go to this swimming hole, I don't know, it's a couple hours away, and they jump off these these waterfalls into this pond thingy, um, J.D. and Beckett. And if J.D. says he can do it, Beckett believes he can do it. Mm. And it's this trust in your father 
that um, he just has it right now. And I hope he never, ever stops trusting in him. But it's like the, it's that, like you said, childlike faith. Like, he trusts that if his dad says that he can jump off that rock into that water, that he has no idea how deep it is, what's on the bottom. Mm. He does it. And it's cool to watch. But, like, at the same time, if I had that same, like, focus on my father, because when he does jump, he watches J.D. like a hawk. Like, J.D. will jump first, and then he'll sit there in the water and wait for Becca to jump. And... He watches him like a hawk, and when our focus is on God and not on ourselves, then that's when I feel like we have that, like, belief in Him. Because it's not about me, it's about Him, and it's about me doing what He's called me to do, not what keeps me comfortable or what makes me not feel, you know, like I am inadequate. It's about trusting God in the process and doing it anyhow, even if I am uncomfortable, even if Mm -hmm. I don't, even if I screw up and fail, it's still what He calls me to do. And as my Heavenly Father, if I can jump and do that thing or... Just follow through. I mean, like, obedience is such a huge thing with following through on the thing that God's called us to do. Yeah. I've, I've, never, had, I've never had this happen to me. I've heard this analogy that when you, go to, when you go to sit in a chair, you don't question whether or not it's going to yes. hold you up. You just sit in the chair. I've never had a chair break on me, but I would assume if a chair breaks on you, <laughs> then you you're would, a little more, you would lose at least, a little more apprehensive, at least for a season, yes. you're going to yes. be a little bit more like, mm, yeah. you know, kind of, kind of thing. But what's, and, and I can understand it. I do. I, I think there's been so much in our culture that it, in American culture, there's been so much in the last, I, you could say a couple of decades, but I mean, if you're a historian, you can say just the history of this country as far as the roles of men and women in in, in everything, really. Um, but there's been a lot of experiences that I think women in general have had to walk through that I could understand being viewed as the chair gave out, so mm-hmm. to speak. Do you feel like that that's true? Do you, like... And your in your experiences, maybe there's not a particular thing that you've experienced personally, but do you feel like at your season of life, as you look at younger women in particular, do you see them stepping into the into moments where the chair is giving out, and now they're going, "Can I fully trust? Can I fully trust the Lord?" I mean, I think it's fairly obvious. You, well, what's the alternative, right? Like, what's the alternative? Trust in yourself. Because really, that's, I mean, that's it. You either, you trust in Jesus or you make yourself your own God. And that doesn't seem to be playing out very well in society. Anytime I've tried to make myself my own God, I just fail or I disappoint myself or I don't get what I was, or I get what I wanted, but it doesn't give me the peace or the the security that I was hoping for. Mm. Does that make sense? No, like, it, no, it does. But why, that's, but even as you say that, because I agree with you, that reality is so frustrating hmm. because if we we know we this. know that nothing else is trustworthy. Why do we keep yeah. going but back? But I will to say that? this. So I don't think that our I mean our comfort is not God's purpose. Like that or not His purpose. That's not God's plan. Like His not His goal isn't like I just want you to be comfortable. Mm-hmm. And that is like at least me. That is what I seek so often. Like I just seek comfort. Like even think about yourself as a high school student or you just wanted to make it through without anybody like verbally attacking you. That was many <laughs> days in high school for me. I just want to make it through without anybody having an opinion survive. about it. Yeah. yeah, survival, right? Um, oh, I forget where I was going. What did I say? How did I start that? It's going to be one of those ones you're going to have to cut in. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna save it. We're going to bring it back. 
Um, that our comfort is not is never a part of his plan. Oh yeah. So I don't feel like that God's our comfort is not necessarily his his main goal, right? His main goal is is to have a relationship with us. And a lot of times my relationships happen when the deepest when the chair gives out. So like mm. I remember a season of my life I just had kids and things were just not going well anywhere. And I probably was experiencing some form of um what's that called when you're depressed after your babies? Oh, uh, postpartum depression. Yeah, I was probably forming or having some form of postpartum depression. But amidst that, like, it was just there was nothing felt secure in our lives at all, and nothing was secure. Um, and I just remember, <laughs> I remember I was throwing up, sick, and Jade was holding London, and she was screaming, and Beckett had gotten in trouble, so he was in his room crying, <laughs> and I was like, "This is awful." And I've also, at the same exact moment, never felt Jesus so close to me. Mm. Because, and I know it sounds, it does sound kind of cheesy, but at the same time, I can't, I can't describe it any other way. He was literally, like, with my heart. Like, I have never felt him so much just, like, making it okay in my heart. Like, you can do this. I'm here. I'm going to be with you. You are not alone. Like, all those things. I just felt it in my heart. And, like, again, like... But I wouldn't have felt like I needed him or been crying out to him with if I hadn't been in a, in a situation where everything felt like chaos. Mm. I don't know. That... What's no, but but it's interesting. You think about, you know, I mean, my family and I moved here six months ago. You know, and that's the whole process of coming here is how our families met and how we first started talking and and um, getting to know one another, and. In the process of getting a new house, one of the things that happened, um, and we've had a handful of, you know, door-to-door salesmen, solicitors, mm-hmm. and but one of them was for a security company. And we talked through just the reality of when you are most secure is actually when you feel the most comfortable. Mm-hmm. If you're out for comfort, mm-hmm. if you're out for comfort first, like the... You have to get a little nervous Mm -hmm. and like, oh, of someone breaking into my house Mm -hmm. and this is going to hurt my wallet a little bit because Mm -hmm. I got to pay for a monthly fee for the Mm -hmm. security company, all this other stuff. All of that is uncomfortable. Yeah. But that discomfort leads me to a place of security Mm -hmm. and then that security leads me ultimately to a place of comfort. Yeah. And it kind of comes... But it's a different kind of comfort. It's a completely different kind of comfort and it's not something that we can control, which is... And maybe yeah. comfort isn't the right word. Maybe peace is a better word. Yeah. But there's there's a, and I think it's I think it's interesting. It, I, I guess trying to stay with the analogy is mm-hmm. that the analogy of like having the trust of being able to sit in the chair and it's going to mm-hmm. hold you up. Um, and is I wonder sometimes if we get irritated with and we get frustrated with God, um, not because the chair gave out, but simply because the chair wasn't comfortable enough. It's like, oh, I wanted a mm-hmm. bed. I wanted to yeah, lie yes, down. 100%. I wanted to have it easy. Yeah. But I don't want to sit up in this rigid, uncomfortable situation. So yeah. I think that that concept of of comfort and security is really interesting. And in the same way, in the the previous episode when I had a conversation with Scott, that you know we didn't plan out the conversation and had a little bit of a loose outline here for this evening, and we're not even close to following it. But I think it's interesting. <laughs> where the conversation is going around this concept of security in the Lord versus the insecurity of self mm-hmm. and the insecurity of, of as you listen to the world's voices, the insecurity that rises from that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like this was what, a couple of months ago. I feel like I remember seeing an anniversary post. How long you and JD been together? 
Uh, we've been together for 22 years, mm-hmm. and we've been married for 15. Wow. I know. Oh, getting awesome. old. Getting gray. <laughs> um, you're not getting old, older, but not older. Listen, I love it. I There's nothing better than getting older. I seriously love it. So. Do, you, do you want to see JD get like the distinguished look with a, with a little oh, bit of Oh, I love it. I, this, yeah, he's already got it. I cut his hair, I'm telling you. It's there. And I, <laughs> I thoroughly enjoy it. Okay. No, um, I like being older. It's great, because honestly, when you get older, you get, you get less... I mean, probably less insecure is the right way to put it, but you just, every year gets a little bit better. I mean, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that the things get easier, the things get harder. Like this year, my mom's been going through pancreatic cancer, and that's like one of the hardest things I've ever had to deal with as a as a human. But mm-hmm. at the same time, like, I don't know. I don't know if it's my relationship with God has gotten stronger as the years have gone by, or just my, um, honestly, it might just be that trust in my father. Like, I'm a li- every year I'm a little bit more trusting and a little bit less guarded with my relationship with him, if that mm. makes sense. No, yeah, it totally does. So I think what's interesting is, is even maybe it's looking at, at your kids, um, but like the difference, you know, there's not massive differences, but sometimes I think there's differences in how men and women respond to comparison. Like I think for me when I was a kid and say I was being outperformed in my sport of choice, um, I would, you know, I would feel this, this kind of pull myself up by my bootstraps. Like Mm -hmm. I just have to do better. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, sometimes I feel like as guys, we struggle with that. Oh, I wish I was as good as this guy, or I wish I had this guy's, you know, build or Mm -hmm. this guy's popularity, but it was always very, internal and flipped mm-hmm. internally of I got to do better I got to play harder I got to practice more mm-hmm. I got to work out more you know whatever it might be um do you see that happening with women do, do you, is there kind of that like I you know that that almost angry motivation just mm-hmm. do better like you know. I would say there's probably a small percentage of women that do fall into that category but most of the women that I know that I've surrounded myself with when we fall into that comparison trap of like Oh, there she is with her perfect hair or her um, like amazing. I'm gonna be real soccer momish, but like her awesome um, uh, SUV. You know, like <laughs> we don't we don't necessarily go. I need to muscle up and do better. We crumble under the weight of I'm just not good enough, mm. and I should just go eat that tub of ice cream because there's no way I'm gonna look like her anyhow. So I'm mm. just gonna go fall to that temptation, and I'm just not gonna do it. And that could I don't know that could that could even just be like a fight or flight thing. Yeah, it absolutely how, could. You're how, right. How you respond. But here's what's interesting to me is I think there's a lot of examples in scripture and Scott and I talked about this is you definitely see women portrayed in scripture, not yeah. nearly as much as men, Right. but it was also, this is a first century Middle Eastern book that we're trying to understand in 21st century America. Right. And it's written in the cultural context of a patriarchy. So men are mm-hmm. the more so the focal point of the story, you know, right or wrong in that. Um, but here's what I don't think you see at all is you don't see weak women. You no. see weak men. Like the like I I I couldn't get my wife on board with this. I wanted to use Abigail as a name uh, uh, for our daughter um, because I love her interactions with um, oh gosh, what was her husband's name? Nimrod, Nim- <laughs> Nimrod, and David. That like oh my gosh, David. Could you imagine that? Yeah, Sorry. terrible name. It's a terrible name. Like that kid. Oh. I I understand why Nimrod was so bitter at like later age in life. He probably had a lifetime of of ridicule. Um, <laughs> But David kind of like proposes to Abigail and, and Abigail in some ways protects her husband's reputation. She does the things he's not willing to do because he's being a weak man Mm -hmm. in the moment. But like 
maintains her honor for him Mm -hmm. and then mourns him appropriately Mm -hmm. and then is taken by David as one of his wives, which is, uh, but you don't, so there's examples of weak men, but I don't see examples of weak women. Well, like you're, like you said, like, you know, first century Christian or first century Jewish culture is totally different than today. Right. So like women, it's an honor shame culture, right? So women are instantly in the class of shame in that society. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus even bringing women along with him, like in the beginning of Luke, when we're talking about Jesus and his disciples and these women that traveled with him, him even bringing those women with him was completely cultural, culturally taboo. But then you look at these women and you look at what they did. It says at the very end that they supported Jesus' ministry out of their own possessions or out of their own means. So what were these women doing? They were literally funding Jesus' ministry as he's going as he's going from town to town and ministering to these people and the 12 disciples are doing all this ministry. They're, mm. they're by no means weak. I mean, I would say that they're meek, meaning like meekness is strength under the control of the Holy Spirit. I would say that they're incredibly meek, but I would not say that they are weak. I mean, selfishly, look at what Middle Eastern women in the first century had to deal with. They probably rarely got a bath. Mm. They probably rarely got to like do anything like for themselves. They were the commentaries that I've read about this particular scripture and what the women would do, would have done, they would have been making goods, whether it be clothing or bread or whatever food sources they could make so that they could sell those food sources so then they would have more money so that the disciples could continue ministering and they could feed them and then continue to make and and sell. And they're so like got, little got, entrepreneurs got funding Jesus' ministry. Biblical business women <laughs> yeah, exactly. going on. Meek, exactly. meek ain't weak. Biblical right. business. Yes, we got 100%. some. We got some solid merch being born <laughs> yeah. out of that. Meek ain't weak. Biblical yeah. business woman. These are yes. like put these on mugs and t-shirts. Yes, hundred percent. Seriously, <laughs> seriously. But like these women were probably like incredible women, and the fact that Jesus brings them alongside of him for for him to even you know do that would be a cultural taboo. Do you know what I mean? Mm. But then you have like people like Mary Magdalene. Like we talked about comparison. Like when I said I read through this scripture, the first thing I did was compare those women to each other. Well, what makes Mary so much better than Joanna, which makes her so much better than Susanna, make her so much better than the other women that don't get named? Because it Mm. says many other women um, were traveling along with them and helping to to, um, fund his ministry out of their own means. So what I look at these women and I start comparing them instantly. And we have this, this natural propensity to do that. And I think that when we compare ourselves, especially women who compare ourselves to other women, instead of keeping ourselves like aligned with each other, we put ourselves vertical with each other. So in other words, like when I'm looking at this woman, I'm saying she has this or that, or she looks like this or that. What I'm doing is I'm saying, well, she's so much better than me because women, we put ourselves down when we compare each other, right? So I'm like, well, she's so much better at that than me. And I'm putting her above myself and vertically where I should have God, I'm putting this person. So I'm idolizing this person or their characteristics or something that I wish that I had that they have above, um, above me. And I'm taking God off the throne and I'm putting this woman above me on the, uh, in, that, in that way. Or I'm saying I'm so much better at that than her and I'm putting her below me and I'm making myself her God. And it's this, mm. it's this vertical like placement of people, which is not at all what Scripture calls us to do. The reason Mary was is mentioned in Scripture, anytime Mary's mentioned in Scripture, she's mentioned before at the beginning of that group of of women. Um, 
And when she is mentioned first, I think that the reason she's mentioned first is because she was so close with Jesus. Like physically and emotionally, spiritually, she was so close to her Savior. And I think that he knew that if she followed, that, or I think that he knew that she would follow, and then if she followed, the other women behind her would follow. Because I think she was a leader with her, um, a leader in her way of like not giving in to what society around her would say, you are, cannot do that. You are a woman. You cannot be that close to a rabbi. I don't think that she looked like that. I think that she looked at Jesus and said, no, he's my savior. He's more than that to me. Like, I want to be so close to him because I want to honor and obey. And if I do that, then these women behind me will do that. Mm. Well, even, even what you're talking about, putting women above, below, I, I think it's interesting the way the scripture words it, there's neither Jew nor Greek slave nor free like mm-hmm. there are no categories yeah you're you're saved or not mm-hmm. and i th- it is so frustrating to me how because i feel this i i love teaching and preaching more than anything else in the world and yet i have to be rigorous i have to be rigorous in when i'm sitting in church or sit or at a conference or or, or something to just listen and say, Lord, what do you have for me? Rather than, oh, I would have said it this way. Mm. Or, oh, I would have done it this way. Or, oh, I could have done that better. Or, oh, man, this guy's delivering this way better than I could. And how quickly those those comparison things fall into. Because we are, I don't know why we have this propensity. I think it, it's just our, our sin, everything in us causes us to run from the concept of holiness and at the core of holiness, you have meekness. Mm-hmm. At the core of holiness, you have humility. Mm-hmm. So any, our sin draws us to a place where that is counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. So we naturally put ourselves in the position of pride in comparison. Cause mm-hmm. it, cause, and, and I think guys are guilty of this as well, but the cliche, the stereotype... Mm-hmm is the girl posting on social media saying, oh, I'm so ugly, but what's she doing? She's fishing for compliments. <laughs> or the, they're, you know, they're like barefaced, you know, like they're like, they don't no have makeup, any, yeah, no, no makeup Monday, you know, like whatever. But the reality is they just, they're, we are so insecure. We're just reaching for, for people to say, no, 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 you look amazing. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. Like you, what you see is not what I see, those kind of compliments. And they do feel good. Like I love to tell girls like, you look great today. Or like, I love your new haircut or whatever. Like I love 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 building each other up and lifting each other up but within that i have to be careful because my tendency too is i want you to feel good about yourself so in turn you like me and you're nice to me and Mm. you feel good about yourself when you're around me so it's actually really really just a selfish selfish compliment (laughs) (laughs) and and i've heard that explained that there there, there's a a positive and a negative aspect of pride yeah i'm so great and then the negative aspect is i you know i'm terrible i suck Mm -hmm. it's like no that's still pride it's just manifesting self manifesting itself from a negative perspective yeah and um but you're still the point right yeah yes when you take a picture and you a group picture and you look at a group picture what's the first thing you look for yourself Right? Mm-hmm. You want to see, are my eyes closed? Did I smile? Am yeah. I looking like a normal human? Or do I look like an alien? Mm-hmm. You know, like, whatever. But that's, it's just a prideful, selfish thing. But even the other week, I was, you know, I was looking at a passage in James, and, and that word meekness literally means submitting yourself. Mm-hmm. And that, first of all, the concept of submission is not limited to women. Mm-hmm. Okay, I know we're not getting into the, you know, <laughs> we're not going into the whole role of husbands and wives and everything like that. 
but um, it, we will later on in this series. We're going to get into some of that stuff, but not not for for this episode. Um, but the concept of meekness or submission, you know, meek and weak, that submission of yourself is not limited to, you know, gender roles, mm-hmm. but the concept of what thinking others higher than yourself. Mm-hmm. But what I love about that, you said, you know, we as women we place people above us or below us. Um, is that there is something holistic and beautiful in thinking of other women or thinking of other people in general above yourself. But when they're doing that as well, mm-hmm. you mutually place the other person above yourself. It, it balances out. But, but you have to do it without taking God off the throne, okay? So, like, a lot yes. of times we replace God with whatever it is. Like, we because our contentment just falls away when we fall into that comparison trap. Like, when I put somebody above me... Um, but I'm doing it because I'm jealous of what she has or how she looks or what she's accomplished, then all I'm doing is taking, taking God off the throne and then putting her accomplishment there. Like, oh, I desire that. Instead of saying, no, I, all I desire is my Savior's approval. Like, all I desire is that Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. Like, that's the end goal, right? Mm-hmm. Not, I want to look like that or be like that or be looked at like that. Like, that's not my main goal. My main goal is I want God to, I want to see my Savior face to face and I want him to say, well done. Mm. Do <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense. No, it does. It totally does. Um, and it's it's interesting because I had a similar, the way the conversation went, I just I had a similar conversation with, with a uh, similar question for Scott in this, in this vein. Um, and I want to ask you the same thing. Is it possible then for man or woman, but is it possible then for a person to find freedom from comparison, find freedom from that insecurity trap without Jesus? Can somebody who doesn't know Jesus find freedom from, from comparison? If, if, if he's our focal point and he's the one who's supposed to be on the throne, because here's the reality is that throne's going to be filled mm-hmm, by something by something mm-hmm. is there anything else that could fill that throne that wouldn't ultimately lead to comparison and insecurity i mean i would venture to say no but i also struggle with comparison and insecurity so like my natural propensity is to compare myself to other people or to become insecure because i'm just not good enough like that's just my natural bend so, and I've had it since I can remember. So it's not, I don't know if that's a fair assessment of everyone, but I mean, I would venture to say yes. Like, I mean, I would think even for the confident person, like we just said, so, you know, for you, it manifests itself in a form of, you know, that negative pride, so mm-hmm. to speak. For, I, I go back and forth. Some days I'm very comparative and insecure, and then other days I feel confident in areas, and then I'm like, mm, that's actually, I'm, you know, I got some pride yeah. welling up inside of me. Um, no, but I would agree with you. I, I don't think, because it, it comes down to the chair thing, right? The, apart from the Lord, everything else at some point or another mm-hmm. will fail you. Mm-hmm. It will give way. Mm-hmm. So I feel like to put anything else on the throne of your life, to elevate anything else, it might work for a season, right? Yeah. You can have a you can have a killer relationship. Yeah. You can be in a rock. No, well, I can't say rock solid, but you can be in what seems to be a awesome relationship, dating mm-hmm. relationship, engaged, just a just a friendship. Yeah. Um, and it could work for a while. 
Yeah. Until all of a sudden it doesn't. Yeah. And those things are extremely, um, extremely, extremely confronting. And I think about some of the, some of the patterns we kind of weave into our life, even when we're kids of how we process relationships and Mm -hmm. what that leads to in our insecurities and everything like that. Um, and I know you mentioned to me the other day, um, just on that concept of rhythms and the concept of, um, and even the, um, how did you call it? Playing, uh, playing fair or playing as a team or, or what, oh, you, don't you wanna, play you wanna, fair. Yeah. You so, dig into that a little bit. Yeah. So the concept actually comes from, um, a book that I, th- I believe it was Dr. Henry Cloud wrote it, and it was the, the nine thing, the nine things you simply must do to succeed in love and life. And one of them, which really hit me, I'm, I'm talking like, like 10, 12, 14 years ago, I read this book and it, it was this concept of don't play fair. And it was, the book's all about relationships and just doing relationships really well. And whether that be romantic relationships, friendships, uh, relationships with family members. And it was this concept of don't play fair. Well, from the time we're a little bitty, especially if you were in sports like I was, you're always taught play fair, play fair, be kind, play fair. And the reality is when we get older, we take that into our relationships of, oh, if you're going to talk to me that way, then I'm going to play fair and I'm going to talk right back to you that way. Like you, mm. you, t- or even just like friendship. Sometimes when we get into these zones of friendship and a friend, we feel like takes a step back from us, like, cause they need space for whatever thing they need going on in their life. And so we think we get offended by that, right? Like, why is she distancing herself from me? Or yeah. this women do this. And so then we take a step back and it's this, this, we play fair. Well, if you need space, then I need space. Or if you're going to be rude, then I'm going to be rude. Or whenever you start into a dating relationship or you get into your married life, your spouse comes home and they've had a rough day at work and they're just short with you. And then you get short with them and you play fair, right? Well, you were a jerk to me, so I'm going to be a jerk right back to you. But all that does is put gas on the fire. All that does is make it worse, right? And so when we learn to not play fair in our relationships then we learn to throw water on the fire. Like my goal is to make every relationship, every relational encounter I have with people add a little bit of of Jesus to their life. And whether that comes through peace or joy or funniness or um, just like a calming presence, whatever it is, my goal is to not make my relationships more anxious, but to make them better. Mm. So, and I think that, oh, go ahead. No, no, I was just saying, that's a a hard thing. And more you talk about it, the more it's, it's clicking and making sense because... When you hear the phrase play fair, my mind goes to play by the rules. Ah, okay. Yeah. So when you say don't play fair, like I hear don't play fair, that sounds, that carries like a negative connotation at first. Yeah, okay. Because where my mind goes, because here's what's true, is as you stop playing fair, as Mm -hmm. you, you know, stop kind of keeping score with those types of things, well... My wife snapped at me, so I'm going to snap at her, or vice versa, whatever that might be. Or like you said, the friend pulls away, so I'm going to pull away too. Mm-hmm. When you stop playing flip, stop playing fair, you, you're you doing what? You're, you're kind of like, quote unquote, breaking the rules of that relationship. Of that engagement, speak, of, what, of, what you, yeah. of what you think. And that's such an intimidating thing to do. It's vulnerable. It, right. The more rules you break, the more chance you have of losing the game. Yeah. Oh, true. 100%. Yes. It requires incredible vulnerability. And, and you know, you might cost you your pride, 
But at the same time, that's, that's not a, the that's goal. That's a problem. Yeah. That's that... the problem. The co- everything we've been <laughs> yeah, talking about. Yeah, but that's not the goal. That's not the yeah. goal, right? Pride isn't the goal. To come out on top isn't the goal. The goal is for relationally to win. Especially, mm. uh, you know, as you go into your relationship series, like, the goal is to to end up, end up at the same place, right? Mm. Like, relationally. Like, when Jody and I have a conflict, the goal isn't... Or the we're, We are really good at conflict with each other. I'm going to say that. Now I'm going to go home and have a fight with him tonight. Satan's going <laughs> to be like, boom, yeah. you thought you were good at it. No, but... Um, um, we're really good at conflict with each other because the end goal is not like I'm right or he's right. The end goal is whatever's best. So like whatever the best thing is or whatever the, um, like if I can't even think of an example, but the goal, the end goal is not that we're right. The end mm. goal is that we're on the same page, right? Especially like in parenting stuff. Like he wants to parent one way. I want to parent another way, whatever it can be. It could be one situation or it could be a big thing. Like we have different opinions on it. Let's just say. The goal isn't like, oh, well, I want to do it my way. The goal is I want to end up in the same place so that we can do this together and we can do it really well. Mm. Does that make sense? But if I play fair, every time he tries to say, well, I want it done this way, then I'm going to go, well, I want it done this way. And I'm just going to like, like, you know, puff up my chest a little bit and act a little bit stronger because he's a foot taller. It's funny though, because there's so many, there's so many true, like biblical truths woven into that concept because the world's rules don't work in God's kingdom. Mm-hmm. So the world says this is how you fight fair. This is how you this is how you play fair. Mm-hmm. And then we go, what? But I'm supposed to not play fair. Yeah. yeah. So the word ends up being the ultimate cheat code to to yeah. to win the game. Like yeah, hundred percent. You know, and I I I think that's so interesting. But the and I feel like the the natural progression of this is we have a a history within our culture where. I don't want to necessarily a history within our culture, but I think there's a lot of voices right now speaking to the, the, I want to be careful how I say this. Some would say reality. Some would say perception that the cards, that the, 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 the odds are stacked against women, mm-hmm. right? Things aren't fair between men and women in our culture. How how do you suggest, how do you challenge, encourage young women to not let those perceptions, realities, you know, to deter them from walking out their calling as women, mm-hmm. whether it's in their profession, who God's wired them to be. Yeah. Like, how do you not get, how do you not get discouraged in all that chatter saying, this is who God has called me to be and I'm going to be that. But then the world's going, yeah, but. Yeah, but you need to be more than that. Or, or like, work harder, do better. Or, like, you deserve more for what you've done. And there are definitely areas where we all give our best and it's not good enough and we fail. And then there's definitely areas where we all do our best, we do a really good job, and then the world doesn't see it that way. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. that's not, like, necessarily, I think, a woman thing. I think that happens across the board. But I do think, as women, the idea of walking out our calling is very is very crucial. Like, if you look at, like, Boaz and Ruth, for example. Like, when Ruth was she met Boaz walking out her calling as a, as a devoted daughter-in-law. Like she, when she chose to go with Naomi, instead of going and finding another husband, she chose to be poor. She chose to be a beggar for the rest of her life, but she chose to do that because she felt like God was calling her to honor and to serve her mother-in-law. And then God didn't say, well, you know, 
or she was, she wasn't just waiting, like sitting there waiting for God to do something. She was walking out her calling. And in the midst of that, she, she met Boaz. And then that relationship became mm. whatever God was the plan that God had all along. But she wasn't just sitting there waiting for him. She was working in the midst of it. Like these women that in Luke that are ministering along with Jesus, they are working themselves. They are doing mm. things alongside the ministry of Jesus. They don't know. They have no idea that the cross is in their future. Like they have no idea what it's going to look like in, yeah. in however long and that Jesus is going to take all of their sins and die on the cross and then raise again three days later. They have no idea any of that's coming, but they're walking out their calling every single day with yes. the hope that they can be a part of whatever God's doing. Yes. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I want to, I want to say something to that. And, uh, I certainly don't want to try and speak for women. So I guess. In this moment, I, I, I want you to either correct me or affirm this statement, Susan. Is I don't know where, I, I can't say, I have no clue where culture is, is going to land on the roles of men and women in society. But what I see happening sometimes in our young women, in our young women is there's moments of I don't know what to do and I kind of need to wait until culture figures it out. Like or until what, someone what, tells me what or to do. Or someone tells me. And I feel like what you just said is just do and, and be mm-hmm. who God has wired you to be. And as that stuff gets figured out, mm-hmm. as these cultural tensions around gender roles and, and societal roles and stuff mm-hmm. like that, if those things shift and change, guess what? The Lord's big enough to, to meet you and, and, and direct your steps as that path shifts. Yeah. But I feel like there's so many times where, especially young adults in general, they kind of put their hands up and go, I'm not going to do anything. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to move forward in any way mm-hmm. until I at least have some type of direction or know what the heck to do. Yeah. Well, and I think so, So at least in that young adult life, you get told, especially even like in your later high school years, you get told like, okay, make a plan, make a plan. You know, like, what do you want the next four years to look like? What do you want the next so-and-so years to look like? And there's not to say that that's not like, wonderful and great like you should definitely look five years down the road and say are the choices that you're making today leading you down that path absolutely that's something that we should do but that expectation of I need to have it all figured out um or like God's need needs to tell me now so that I can so that I can make those choices now God doesn't want you he's not going to give you more than you can see not all the time sometimes he does and it's great when he does Mm. but sometimes he just lights the path enough that you can take your next step Mm. and that's where like really like our trust really comes back into play because you just have to take that next step some days or open up your hands and be like, all right, God, my hands are open. Fill it with whatever you want. Like I will do it and I will be obedient to it, but I need you to fill it. And that's that reliance on Jesus to take that next step. Mm. I don't want to, I don't want to go any further than that. Sometimes he only lights the path enough for you to take your next step. Mm. Man, this ended up going kind of the same way it went with Scott. There's so many more so many topics flowing out of this that could be impacted at deeper levels. And um, whether you're a guy or a gal listening to this, you know, we hope that you're encouraged in some ways. And um, I know that, uh, you know, we walked into this with a plan to talk about some concepts of, of godly womanhood. And we hit a couple of things there. Um, but frankly, the, the heartbeat of these conversations is to find some theological truths in, in real conversation rather than try and um, orchestrate something and, and force something to happen. Um, but Susan, thanks so much for doing this. And there's been, Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. There's been so much good stuff from this. And um, 
man. So guys, hope you enjoyed it. And uh, hopefully, hopefully you keep coming back to uh, be encouraged, be challenged. Um, but pray the Lord blesses you. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks, guys. We hope you walked away from this conversation with some new insights into godly womanhood. For more information on the Young Adult Ministry, follow us on Instagram, or you can email us at youngadults at cornerstonelive.net.